Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. For me, putting on my makeup in the morning in a war zone, it's like my coat of armor, you know? I need it. Mm. It's, it's very much a uniform. It only takes me 10 minutes to do it. I'm really fast at it now. And I don't add to it during the day. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, am joined by guests to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the Chief International Correspondent for CNN, Clarissa Ward. And in this episode, we talk about how 9-11 changed her career, how she now balances her career with motherhood. Clarissa is a firm believer that, in her words, you can have it all, but not at the same time. We also run through what Clarissa packs to go to a war zone from tampons to makeup, how simple grooming moments provide a much needed semblance of normalcy and anchor of comfort when in those areas of conflict, and how she reconciles doing a job in which she sees suffering and violence on a daily basis with periods at home where her life is one filled with love and privilege. Here's Clarissa. Right, I want to start in your childhood. Your dad is a British former investment banker. You describe your mum as petite and beautiful. Now, is that something in retrospect that you were aware of at a young age? Or do you think that's just something you look back and see? Oh, that's so interesting. I was definitely aware of it at a young age because my mother is the kind of person who um, promotes herself as beautiful. She is beautiful, but she's very aware of being beautiful and she's very aware of the power of beauty and she would often talk about her own beauty. So it was never lost upon me, even as a young child, that she was very beautiful. And was there something that lived large in the house in terms of were there products around? Was there a ritual to her making herself ready for a night out? Yes. And I remember occasionally she would um, try it out on me. She let me have a couple of birthday parties that were dress up as mom, which was so much fun. But the main thing that she did that was so time consuming was it was the 80s. So she permed her hair and then she would wear these hot rollers for hours, which were really painful, actually, to put in. Um, and so I always remember being obsessed with her, like, bouncy, curly yeah blonde hair and how pretty it looked did the rollers have those pins that went in that sort yes because yes. i remember those they were painful they were they I, sit yeah they yeah. really I, I regretted it at that birthday party yeah. <laughs> it's very and she said to me i'll never forget what she said to me beauty takes pain clarissa you but you lived in new york yeah um throughout your childhood well i came well. here when i was eight mm. to the okay. uk so it was like a bit of both. So did you see the difference in terms of what people were doing? Because New York, I think of as hyper-groomed, you know, yeah. women who are in my head, particularly around that time in the sort of 80s, wearing fur coats, permed hair, lots of makeup. Yeah. The UK was still a little bit behind. Way behind. And actually, I think the, the way I noticed it the most was watching television. And so American soap operas were all about these like beautiful women with huge hair and long nails and sparkling teeth and lots of money. And then British soap operas were all about kind of ordinary people with bad teeth and normal hair. And mm. I, I was always really struck by that. I was like, why is everyone so unattractive on British TV? Did you feel like you wanted to fit into the groomed American camp? 
I probably did because that's really what I grew up with. And I grew up, um, you know, as an only child and I was quite lonely as a child. And I spent a lot of time watching TV and movies and growing up with all these shows where, yeah, women were kind of beautiful and well-groomed and powerful. And that's definitely, I think, what I aspired to. Tell us about Granny. I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Granny Griggs. Granny Griggs. And yeah. her unconventional life. I was struck by her marriage and her... Yes. So tell, tell the anecdote about what she said to her husband. Um, so my grandfather, they were in the colonial service and they lived in Singapore for many years. And my grandfather fell in love with his Chinese secretary, Mavis, and said that he wanted to leave my granny. My granny said, no, 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 don't leave me. We'll, we'll, we'll continue to live together. Um, but Mavis can live with us too. So that was already a very bizarre setup. And they had sort of erected a fence down the middle of their flat here in London, in Warwick Square fence. Anyway, eventually Mavis said, you know what, this is kind of a little crazy. I'm going to go back to Singapore. And so Mavis did go back to Singapore. And then my grandparents no longer lived together. And at the end of his life, he called my granny and he said, Vivian, you know, I want to die in your arms. And she said, well, John, it's a shame you didn't want to live in them. And that's just the kind of woman my granny was. I mean, she was the queen of the sort of pithy one-liner. It's up there with frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. like, right, yes. okay, no, it's not going to happen. I found her fascinating. And I have to say, when I was reading about her in the book, I just thought, well, in fact, you do this very well throughout the book, and, and we'll talk about the book in a little bit, but just you talk about characters quite well. You flesh mm. people out and you give this kind of life and this unconventional air to things. Yeah. I loved it. That was one of the things that kept me really entertained because it's intense what you're reading about, but then you, these characters come through. And yeah, I, and you yeah. need to, I think you need to draw people in as well. You can't be like, here's a book about death and misery and war. It's like, oh, who was going to sign up to read that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's also about life's rich tapestry and colorful crazy people and the people who live in those situations who are still people yeah. with quirks yes. and personalities exactly. and not just these blank faces you might see yes they're not remotely. just victims they're yeah. people yeah. they're characters so when you were sort of 18 around that age do you remember any products that were fundamental because that's the age at which a lot of my guests talk about forming obsessions with products you know yeah. you had to have xyz or you weren't cool or you weren't the person you wanted to be yeah I mean so there were like lots of things I remember and maybe this was a bit earlier I was like 14 there was something called Malibu Mist in the, in the US which was like a perfume body spray but like clearly targeting like teenagers um, and I was obsessed with that. Then by the time I was 18, I think I got a little bit cooler. I'm thinking a lot of perfumes. I don't know why. Sunflowers by Elizabeth Arden mm. and um, Calvin Klein Escape. Uh, those were like the scents of uh, of my teenage years of like the 90s or whatever. Mm. Um, much in the way the soundtrack you remember. I remember the scent very clearly. And I think 18 was when I first started really like wearing makeup, I guess. My mother had always made me wear eye con under eye concealer from a young age because I'm very prone to dark circles. But that's when I started experimenting with like foundation and I really didn't know what I was doing. I think I would way too much makeup at that stage. Was there anything that you felt you were correcting? I, I'm thinking of teenagers having spots or feeling, you know, certain things about their appearance or were you just someone who was decorating yourself? I think I was decorating myself, but I also think I was kind of looking for a look, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. And the look that well, I went to a London day school for the last two years of school and the look was quite made up. Um, which actually doesn't really suit me. Um, and frankly, I don't think it suits many teenagers, to be honest. But um, I think I was trying to fit in. 
talking about boarding school and school and yeah. all that period of your life, it sounds like you're quite experimental. You dyed your hair and then at Yale, you also dyed your yeah. hair. So you were doing things with your hair that were quite thrilling. There's a bright orange incident. Bright orange incident. Yeah. Um, that was when I was 12 and my mother got 12? very... 12? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise you I was okay. 12. It was my first boarding school and I dyed my hair in the shower on my last night of school mm. and um, my mother was summoned and I wasn't allowed to go to my graduation. It was amazing. My mother wasn't upset with me at all about dyeing my hair in the middle of the night. She just was outraged that I dyed it orange because mm-hmm. she was like, orange is not your color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Yale, I dyed it pink. Mm-hmm. I had, because I saw Run Lola Run and I was like, I can't rock that red, but maybe I could try a fuchsia. I love that film. I forgot yeah, about that film. Obsessed. Yeah. yeah. So now I was definitely all about changing my physical appearance. I drew the line at tattoos, but I was very into piercings at one stage right. too. Yeah. Okay. So you were having fun with the way you looked yeah. and living what I would call a relatively normal experience in that you were, yes. you know, you were at university, you were piercing, you were doing yeah. all these things. And then 9-11 happened and that changed yeah. your life. So what happened there? So basically, I mean, I think like many people around the world and certainly many Americans, I just felt, oh my gosh, I have not been paying attention mm-hmm. to what's happening in the world. I have not been sufficiently engaged. I need to be out there trying to get to grips with how this happened, why this happened, why do people hate us, what is fueling the hatred. And I want to go to the tip of the spear in far-flung corners of the earth and and mm-hmm. find those people and find those stories and, and, and hopefully bring some of our stories to them as well to kind of act as a communicator. I mean, I was 22, so I was... And you said you haven't been very politically engaged before that, so I'm kind of imagining you as a sort of can-do, maybe not Pollyanna, but someone who was like, I can do this, I'm going to immerse myself in something new. Was it like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it was... I'd always loved traveling, languages, and storytelling. So that's actually quite a good starting point, I think. Um, And I had traveled a lot as a kid, so I had been exposed to different cultures. And the one, you know, really good thing about my upbringing is my parents gave me a lot of confidence always. I mean, it was an unorthodox upbringing, but it was it was definitely I was given the confidence to basically make a decision like that. Like you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. as long as you put your mind to it. And I remember when I started out working and I would tell people that I wanted to be a foreign correspondent and I was on the overnight desk. And they'd be like, hey, whoa, who do you think you are? Like people were sort of embarrassed for me that I dared to dream that big. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was always made clear to me that like, you know, if you put in the hard work and you have the passion, like you can do whatever you want. I want to talk to you about the time that you spent as Uma Thurman's stand-in right before you went to work for CNN in Moscow. That, to me, felt like an interesting thing to touch on before you go into this profession where you know, you're involved very politically and you're telling very serious stories and then you're doing this Hollywood thing where you get an insight into how women are viewed through that lens. Yeah. And it wasn't a comfortable read. No, it's, it's, it was a little uncomfortable. I mean, first of all, I think we have to be careful about judging things in the past by the standards of today. And like some of the things that happened on set would never be uh, accepted today and, and shouldn't be. Mm. But at the time they were considered pretty normal, I would say. Um, but what irked me always was that women were really seen as decorative, uh, ornamental. And I, I think in many ways, women didn't necessarily do themselves justice either in trying to disabuse powerful men of that notion. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly at least on that movie set. And for me, as someone who, who went to Yale and, and, and was curious about the world, I've always bristled and I still grapple with it now at that feeling of being 
a little bit dismissed or underestimated by men um, or kind of like, oh, you know, she'd be cute if she didn't talk so much or, you know, like that kind of yeah. attitude or like yeah. she's a little pushy or whatever. I'm like, oh, that yeah. sort of thing drives me nuts. Actually, Quentin Tarantino really liked me because I spent my whole time reading books and I didn't want to be an actress. And right. he was like, what? Well, this is so bizarre and kind of amazing. She's not playing the game. Yeah. 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 Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I was very confident that I made the right decision to become a journalist. And I knew that Hollywood is not a place that I would have been happy. Can I read a section of your book back to you? You say that during this meal that you had in Moscow, you say, I think I managed to get in one question during the meal, which safe, am I correct? Mm -hmm. Safe. Barely acknowledged before returning to this meandering geopolitical diatribe. Was I even actually there? I felt a familiar burn of indignation, whether it came from arrogant teenage Etonians in the UK or the sons of brutal Middle Eastern dictators. Misogyny provoked a feeling of impotent rage in me. Anger at being so easily overlooked or dismissed because of my gender, and anger myself of being unsure of how to respond to it. Push back too hard and you're labelled as aggressive or chippy or a bitch. Don't push back and you're condoning it. But in the presence of this gilded set, I also felt clumsy, unattractive and dumb, tongue-tied and embarrassed like a little girl who had no business sitting at the grown-ups table. I read that a few times and I thought that's such an accurate description of feeling yeah. that imposter syndrome yeah. that sense of being a woman who you, you know the stuff and it's inside you yeah. wanting to come out and at the same time you feel silent it still happens right it still happens I will still be at a conference in Washington <laughs> and have a bunch of middle-aged white guys like mansplaining to me about Syria or something and I'm like I'm the only one who's been to Aleppo yeah but in the moment, do I say that? No, I because if I do, then I sound, it's like, whoa, what's wrong with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're always walking this tightrope, I find, as a woman, between mm-hmm. asserting yourself, but in a non-threatening way, you know? Making it clear you're an authority, but doing it with humor and grace, you know? Yeah. And it's like, at a certain point, come on, I'm so tired of this. Like, the funny thing about it is, though that you feel, or I certainly feel sometimes, that I might be harming the cause if I'm too oh, aggressive you, about what I want to say. And you are. Yeah. That's the thing. Everyone pretends you're not, but you are. Yeah. Women are still held to a different standard. Completely. Let's go back to your first job. Oh, yeah. So how did you turn doing night shifts oh, into, <laughs> into going into areas of conflict and actually being there? How did you yeah. do that? Um, let it never be said that I did not pay my dues. Um... <laughs> So I worked from midnight to 9 a.m. And basically, I just would leave at 9 a.m. and go and take Arabic lessons. And then in all my spare time, I would constantly harass my boss to let me go to Iraq. It was 2003 when I started working. Mm -hmm. The Iraq invasion was just underway. And by 2005, I think I had worn him down to the point where he just couldn't look at me anymore because I never shut up about it. And also, no one really wanted to go to Iraq anymore. It had been two years since the invasion. Uh, The occupation was a disaster. It was incredibly dangerous Mm -hmm. and very hot and difficult to work there. And the American public was already starting to get bored of the stories. And so no one wanted to go. But obviously, they had to send people. And that created an opening for me. And I quit my job after that first rotation. I moved to Beirut and set myself up as a freelancer. In the book, you talk about the paraphernalia you needed to pack, your sort of, the things you bring along. And I wonder whether, well, A, how that happened. Did you sort of sit down and go, okay, I'm probably going to need a torch. I'm probably going to need, you know, tampons. I'm probably going to need this, that, and the other. And also, did it include any, like, luxury items that you thought, 
I'll tell you what might be nice, some yeah. aromatherapy. Yes. Yeah. So it's funny, it's it's evolved a lot over the years. Um, originally, I was sort of relying on friends I had who were seasoned war correspondents who could give me advice of things you could not go without, like mm-hmm. flip-flops because you're going to have shower in some gross places and you don't want to be barefoot, towels because they're very rarely provided and you need them to dry yourself off with, um, and sort of like the basic fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and for me, like packing for a trip is my kind of moment of Zen. Like it requires absolute concentration because you really need to get it right. And, and the more experience you get, uh, the better you are at packing. But I only started incorporating some luxury items later on because I came to realize how important it was to have um, some semblance of normalcy uh, through rituals when you're on the road in chaotic places because they kind of anchor you in something more familiar and more Mm -hmm. comfortable. And also to have moments of, you know, wellness, um, for lack of a better word. So what would that include? You wrote an article recently about the QMS cream you like, and I wonder if, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I love that cream. It's a night cream. It's ridiculously expensive. But it's so, it's like the perfect cream and it doesn't smell and it's a lovely consistency. And But more than that, when I go to these places, having that ritual every night of washing my face, even if I'm doing it with bottled water, even if I don't have access to running water, mm-hmm. washing my face, putting my cream on, it helps to like calm me down before the end of the day before I go to sleep and as I wrote in that article it can also provide like a really beautiful moment of sharing with someone because often I'm sleeping with the women and children and and usually they have not seen these kinds of beauty products Mm -hmm. in the way that we have them and um and it's nice to be able to share that with them tell me about being a woman in a war zone I'm thinking things like period Mm. underwear Hair dye, is that a factor? Waxes? I mean, yeah. are these things you would think about? Well, waxing definitely goes out the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, and ditto hair dye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get your roots done before you go. Um, tampons are a must. Yeah. You've got to have enough tampons with you because in a lot of these places, you really can't buy them. So you must bring them with you. And I stopped using, I started using OBs because they're much smaller. So you can mm-hmm. pack a lot of them and they're less cumbersome and you don't have any paraphernalia at the end of it because often you don't really have access to proper bathrooms if you're wandering around with a huge tampon applicator it's kind of awkward um so yes tampons are hugely important and for the most part i would say being a woman in a war zone the hardest part is the peeing thing um where do you pee well, you say in the book that also you don't drink too much. So that yeah, you so you avoid having to pee because if you're driving in a Humvee yeah. for two hours, um, I can't pull by the roadside in some like insurgency haven to to pee. And yeah. I can't pee there anyway because I can't pee publicly as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes really complicated. And actually someone recently gave me uh, like a shiwi. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but I've you, heard of them. Yeah. yeah. So you, it's like a kind of like a, a cup that you fit uh, in your underwear and that allows you to like pee like a man, mm-hmm. basically. Handy though. Uh, very handy. I yeah. wish I'd had one 15 years ago. Yeah. Because um, it's yeah. also like 40 degrees sometimes. Yeah. Very... So you want to be drinking water. You want to yeah. be drinking water. Yeah. And um, yeah, but you just don't want to have to squat. And you talk about your appearance, you know, you're tall, you've got blonde hair, you don't sort of fit in as it were so was that something that was a problem for you 
Not really, because I've always been very comfortable dressing conservatively when I'm in conservative areas and covering my hair um, is often a part of that. And it allows me to kind of disappear into the background a little bit. Um, obviously, when I lived in China, that was a different story because no one's wearing a headscarf or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm a foot taller than most people. And, you know, I mean, there's no way I could ever pass for Chinese. <laughs> So it is always tough a little bit when you're in a place where you look so different from everyone else. Mm -hmm. It makes it harder for you to fade into the background and just observe. How do you cope mentally and physically? I mean, we've touched a bit on the physical, but I'm thinking about things like, say, stretching out and those sorts of rituals that people do daily that maybe you wouldn't have time to do or you wouldn't be able to do it a lot. Yeah. Is there anything you do when you're really in the busy periods and you're in a conflict zone that help you? I mean, listen, I think when you're younger, you do things like smoke cigarettes and drink Janet Daniels. Um, as you get older, you, you can't really get away with that anymore. Um, I often will bring an iPad with me and have like a series loaded. And even if I only watch 10 minutes of it, again, it's about like just to have 10 minutes where I'm not mentally in a war zone, where I can just fly away. Um, that helps me unwind and go to sleep. I'm not very good about doing things like yoga or anything like that, which I probably should be much better at. When I would spend six weeks in Baghdad at a time, I would go and like speed walk on a treadmill um, just because there was no opportunity to move there. Uh, you were really trapped in this compound. But other than that, I'm pretty bad physically about adhering to any kind of mm -hmm. regimen that would probably be very good for getting the dopamine up and up and running going back to your work previously one of the things I struck by was the the going back and forth and the normalcy of coming back there's one point where you say your mum always says you've lost too much weight and <clears throat> that's such a classic mum comment and sort of I don't want to say undermines but you know she's not talking about the work you've done and stuff she's going <laughs> you look too thin yeah I mean that's the hardest part of this job in many ways and mm. it's it's a part that no one really prepares you for you're straddling different worlds mm -hmm. and shuttling back and forth it's almost like having a double life and so how do you how do you reconcile in your mind leaving the front lines of Aleppo and going on holiday to the south of France with your family and drinking rosé by the pool when you know that there are still children like buried under the rubble in Aleppo? And like, how do you forgive yourself for that? How do you accept privilege and uh, love and joy when so many other people don't have it? But what you realize, I think, is that you cannot do this job in the long run, if you do not embrace joy and love and normalcy and laughter and uh, escapism and and privilege and 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 have that normal life, mm -hmm. because you'll burn out. So it's like filling the tank. You 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 go back home. You fill the tank, um, and you have to make it work. Because if you can't make it work, if you can't if you can't have both lives, if you can't embrace your normal life. Um, then you won't be able to go the distance. You'll probably have some kind of a breakdown. It's not possible only to live in that one world. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Talking about your normal life, as it were, your back home life. You met your husband, Philip, in 2007. Tell us about that. I met him at a dinner party in Moscow. I was living in Russia, as was he, and I told him what I did for a living. And he said, I thought all war correspondents are egomaniacs. And I was like, wow, punchy, punchy. I like it. Um, And he's, you know, what I love about Philip, well, I love many things about Philip, but he's a civilian, as I say, meaning that, like, he's not a journalist. He doesn't go to war zones. He works in finance. Um, and he also doesn't um, glamorize or elevate the work that I do, um, which I think is really important. Um, he He's the one who keeps me grounded in that sense. I love the bit when you said, though, that you were offered a job and he said, take it, we'll be fine. Oh, 100%. And that's, I mean, that's... Yeah. So he's hugely, hugely supportive and career is always um, first Mm -hmm. for him. And and which is, you can't do this job and have that normal life if you don't have an amazing husband. Yeah. When you got married, you said you planned the wedding quickly. You chose your dress like two weeks beforehand? Oh, no, I think it was more like five days. Okay, so you did that. (laughs) You're going to do your own makeup? I was. And then the makeup artist at CNN got really angry at me. and was like, excuse me, we're friends. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing your makeup. Shut up. My best friend and I um, went shopping at Harvey Nicks like less Mm -hmm. than a week before the wedding find a dress um unfortunately i found one um pietro piloto i think is the name of the designer mm. and it's kind of a funky dress it's not a classical wedding dress um but anyway i was getting married in a registry office and you know i was 36 so it was like it was a slightly different slightly more grown-up kind of wedding yeah. um I don't know. I just felt so relaxed about the whole thing. And, and same with the makeup. And my mother was basically organizing the whole thing anyway, because that's what she does. Mm-hmm. And then the day came and I was sobbing like so much. I mean, I was so profoundly moved by it, but to the point where it's always amazing to me how you'd like not thinking about it at all in the run up to it. You're like, yeah, I'm getting married next week, whatever. Like it's all kind of, oh, what should I wear? I don't know. Well, I'll find something. And then the day comes and you're like, no, wait, this is so powerful. This is so meaningful. This is so beautiful. And, um, and actually, you know, it surpassed my expectations in every single way. And it does change things being married. I don't, I don't know why I never expected You've been to together it. for 12 years. Haven't you? Oh, we've been together forever. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that was a big part of why I didn't view it as a big deal because I was like, we've been together forever. We're obviously hopefully going to stay together forever. So whether we get married or not is kind of arbitrary. Mm. 
But then you're standing there in front of the people you love in this small room, like taking a vow. And you're like, I mean, it was hilarious. It's like the war correspondent could not get herself together. I was going to say. Crying. Yes, I was sobbing. Yes, I and to the point where my mother was like, Clarissa, you got, we need one pretty picture of you. <laughs> did your makeup hold up? It did. Miraculously. I don't, I don't know how. Yeah. yeah. Great. Good makeup artist. Yeah. <laughs> on makeup, tell me what you wear on live TV. Because again, even when you're in a... Yeah. And I know that you're obviously your mind is focused on the job and what you're talking about. But at the same time, your face is on camera and you are on 100%. camera. Do you put makeup on? How Absolutely. You- okay. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. For me, putting on my makeup in the morning in a war zone, it's like my coat of armor. You know, I need it. Mm. It's It's very much a uniform. It only takes me 10 minutes to do it. I'm really fast at it now. And I don't add to it during the day. Once so what do you do? Time. So I put on um, a foundation, first of all. And as much as I love the dewy look in in, in my home life, in, on TV you need a matte look. So I use like a NARS matte foundation. Then I use a gray eyeliner on my upper lid. And I have a couple of uh, three sort of taupey eyeshadows in various different shades that I use to just create a little bit of contour mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how good I am at it, but it seems to work. Eyelash curler is essential. Which and one do you use? I just use like a one I got at Boots. I don't even know what it is. It's just like so curly eyelashes. And then I use a MAC. Um, it comes in a blue tube. I forget what it's called mascara mm-hmm. that is really, really good. Um, and then the last thing, but the most essential thing well, two last things mm-hmm. the under eye concealer. I use a Becca one that is it's excellent it's very very good it's quite thick but i need that creamy pot yeah exactly yeah. uh and then a blush i need a blush because i tend to be um like a little sallow so i use nars orgasm uh and then i have a powder that i'll carry with me in case i get sweaty or anything and i need to do a stand up and that's just a translucent if you're um, using nars orgasm you have to put that on a brush Yes. Wash the brush when you're out there in the war zones. I probably should. Actually, it's funny you should say that because the makeup artists like uh, at CNN would would see my makeup bag and they'd be like, oh my gosh, we need to like wash all of your brushes immediately. I'm usually obsessed with telling people to wash their brushes, but I'm like, conflict zone, maybe that's. I haven't been so good about washing my brushes. No, I have to be honest. Although I do keep them all in a little bag Mm -hmm. so they're not exposed too much to the elements. When you're back in your, I wouldn't say normal life, but yeah. when you're back in your gla- more glamorous life and yeah. I, I'm thinking also of the red carpet I saw a picture of you at the Emmys and yeah. you looked very glam and you had your red lipstick on oh, what's your you. go-to what do you what do you add to that so often with like the Emmys or something we're quite lucky we have these great makeup artists and they'll do your makeup for you mm-hmm. um, and they might give you a few I, I love to have a couple of uh, false eyelashes only on the, the very edge yeah. of the eye but um, that's a real treat for me and I can't do it myself um, same with the hair. They can do all sorts of beautiful things with your hair. Um, and occasionally I will go for like a strong lip, um, which I love, but I really have to be feeling confident to rock it. And I have to feel like my teeth are looking white as well. You feel quite aware of your teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. Um, so, but um, I don't, I like to experiment with on the, with those red carpet things with different yeah. looks and, and, and enjoying that because I don't get to do it much. When you're in London, where you now live, what do you do in terms of um, going to have your hair done? Do you have facials? Where do you go? What's your yeah. sort of address book? Yeah. So I have 
my hairdresser met me for the first time when I was born in Queen Charlotte's Hospital. Um, she's my mother's hairdresser as well. She lives in Acton. I go to her house. She gives me like tea and biscuits in the morning or wine and hummus in the evenings. She's amazing. I love her. Her name's Maureen Sinnott. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she used to work in one of the big salons and then started her own thing. And, and she does the best color and she's a wonderful human being. So that's my hair. And I will never leave Maureen until, you know, shudder to think of it the day she decides she wants to retire. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really do facials that much. Um but I guess I should really be looking into that. No, I was going to say your skin looks more. immaculate. So I wondered if you did something to keep it that way or well, whether so that's now genetic. I, I just started buying something. Um, it's like a peel, I guess, but it's on a towel. It's on a little towel and you like rub it into your face at night. Dr. It, Dennis Grace. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. See, yeah. you know your stuff. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> so I've just started using that. And then I also, you know, even in London, I don't wear a lot of makeup, but I always wear, I have a NARS lightweight tinted moisturizer, which is a bit more glowy, which mm -hmm. I can't wear in the mm -hmm. field, but I do wear that at home and always um, under eye concealer, a little bit of mascara and blusher. I don't feel, I have so many friends who don't wear makeup and I'm like, power to you. But I don't feel happy leaving the house without makeup. I really don't. I like to, I don't want to wear a lot of makeup, but that little bit of makeup just makes me feel much more comfortable and less freaked out about bumping into people. And, you know. I'm exactly the same. It's, when you said coat of armor, I thought, actually, it's such a good way to put it because you don't need a lot to feel like you yeah. have that. But it's just that sort of polishing up. It's a bit like putting on like good clothes, I yeah. guess. Like it makes yeah. you feel like, oh, this is the me that I'm yeah. happy in. Yeah, like, exactly. This is how I like to look. You started off by talking about perfume when you were younger. I mm. wondered what perfume you wear here. And also, do you take one with you? I don't take perfume with me. Um, I do wear one here. And I'm like, Le Labo is the name of the brand. And I'm like completely blanking on what the name of the actual scent is. Santal one. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Um, it's beautiful. I smelt it on other people for years and I would literally like chase them around the room and be like, what are you wearing? Yeah, such a cult for people um, love who love oh, that. Love it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. But I don't wear it every day. Okay. I definitely don't wear it every day. It's for a special occasion maybe. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I won't ever wear any longer eau de toilette. I only wear oil. Um, I'm very sensitive to perfume as well. Like anything that has like too much alcohol or chemical, like it will make me feel nauseous after a while, even if it's a really sort of expensive perfume. Whereas the oils are just a little bit more pure and they last longer. And it's, I just, they don't have that acrid. It's also stuff. something really nice about putting an oil on your skin. I'm quite into yeah. like the feeling of things on skin. So for me, when I get an oil perfume, I think, oh, this is just like being a sort of 1940s film star. Like, yes. You put a little yes. bit on and you feel yes. kind of quite glamorous. Yes, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I'm into perfumes that aren't really, I'm into like smelling good mm -hmm. rather than wearing like a perfume, right. you know? And I'm always like, occasionally you'll meet someone you'll be like, gosh, you smell really good. It's not like a perfume though. It's like, yeah. it's a combination of a nice skin cream and, or like a, a wellness essential oil or you know. someone's skin scent mixed with yes. it, which I love. I yes. love it when you smell the person through the scent. Yes. I think um, Jennifer Aniston once said the best smell in the world is a man you love. Yeah. And I really get that. And for yeah. me, it, but it's like that little bit of aftershave mixed with yes. skin. Yes. And that's a kind yes. of quite a special sweet spot. Exactly. Kind of yeah. You had your first son, Ezra, in 2017? 2018. 2018. Yeah. And then another one. Yeah. yeah. So you've had two babies very quickly. Yeah. Ezra and Casper. Yeah. Um, A, how did you feel about that 
potentially affecting your work. Yeah. And B, your body and how it changed, you know, the way you move and how you live. Yeah. Um, so I was petrified of how it was going to change my work and how it was going to change the way people looked at me. Because I remember being really young and when and when someone like me would go off and have a baby, I'd be like, well, that's her, done, probably. And I really was very keen to show people that that wasn't going to be the case with me. By the second baby, I'd chilled out a bit on that front because I'd realized like you can do both and which is not to say you can have it all. You can't. <laughs> what can't you have? I mean, you can have it all, but not at the same time. So if you're really kicking ass at work, you're probably not doing so great on the mom department. Um, and if you're really kicking ass in the mom department, you're probably not doing so well at work. Uh, there is a trade-off, definitely. And you have to find the balance that works for you. Did your appetite for your work um, diminish in any way? Um, yes, I think definitely in the immediate aftermath of having a baby, 100%. There's like four months there where it's like you're just not really interested in it at all more so with the first one than the second one the second one's a bit more it's a slightly less intense experience because you're like oh I've done this before and and I know it only gets better sort of um for me at least as they become like little people in terms of my body um I really did not love being pregnant the second time I was so huge and I had such a sore back and shortness of breath and Um, And I really struggle with having huge boobs as well. Like, because, you know, that's a burden. Like, I just don't like having big boobs. Like, I don't like the way they feel. I don't like the way they look and close. I mean, they look fabulous on other people. Don't get me wrong. But on me, I just, I just don't like them. I'm exactly the same. When I was younger, I used to want bigger boobs because everyone did. Like, in 1999, it was like, please get bigger, please get bigger. And now I'm, I keep thinking, don't ever get bigger. I I don't want you bigger. I like you compact. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Especially for clothes. Like, I, I think a lot of designers are not designing for a bosomous woman um and I tend to find like I look bigger even just when I have larger breasts Mm -hmm. and so yeah so um it's a little bit harder to shift the weight I would say after Mm -hmm. the second one although I don't diet I want I don't I just don't think that's healthy for for me at least so it I wait for it to happen naturally and it is happening it's just (laughs) it's just happening at a slower pace do you exercise or anything like that I do yoga like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I would say I'm like naturally an active person in the sense I'm quite stressed a lot of the time as well. Although not so much right now, which means that I'm, I'm, I like pace a lot when I'm on the phone. I, 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 I'm burning a lot of energy somehow. I always find it interesting when people say they're stressed and lose weight because I'm the polar opposite. When I'm stressed, I get puffy. I'm going to finish by asking you three yeah. questions that yeah. I ask all of my guests. So, what advice would you give to a younger self? What age would you go back to? And what would you tell that younger version of you? I would go back to maybe 30, mm-hmm. around there. And I would say, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Like, this is the moment, you know? Enjoy it. Enjoy the awards. Enjoy the plaudits. Enjoy enjoy all of it because honestly when you're in it and you're you're working so hard to get to the next level the whole time that you forget to enjoy where you are um and you're under so much pressure and there's so much stress and trauma and I I really think I didn't celebrate a lot of that and and enjoy the success and frankly there's not much point in being successful if you can't learn to enjoy it the saddest thing about being successful is that you feel you have to keep going and get to the next step no it's endless it never ends yeah you know, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? No, enjoy it. 
What's the achievement you're most proud of? I think the achievement I am most proud of is, um, I think it's being a mum. I I mean, I know that sounds probably a bit naff, but um, I really think it is. I I mean, it's still early days, so I've got plenty of time to screw them up. But (laughs) for now, I I feel like I'm a good mum. And I'm proud of that. And I love them more than anything in the world. And I love them more than myself. And I do anything for them. And I'm proud of that. And tell me three people you'd invite to a dinner party, dead or alive, and what kind of dinner party you would have. So I think I would have Bashar al-Assad at the dinner party. He's the leader of Syria. Probably so that I could put some Novichok in his uh, chicken (laughs) and... um, you know, end the suffering of the Syrian people. Um, but also because I'd really love to get to the bottom of like what exactly he thinks he's doing, killing hundreds of thousands of his own people in such brutal ways. I would like to invite Jesus. Um, just because I think in this moment, especially we all could like learn a lot from him. Um, and because let's face it, I mean he's a he's a pretty towering figure. I was say, good man, <laughs> good good man, good bloke, top yeah. bloke. And then the third, I think Queen Elizabeth the first. I've always been very very intrigued by her. Um, she was a real trailblazer in many ways, and a very strong woman in a time where women were not in positions of authority. So I feel like I could learn a lot from her. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm.